0: This podcast is intended solely for blind and print-impaired audiences and is brought to you by the Radio Talking Book Service in Omaha, Nebraska. It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cami Carlisle.
1: Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Community Conversations. I'm Cami Carlisle, and today we have Naomi Hadaway, Director of Communications and Community Initiatives of Front Porch Investments in the House. Welcome. Thank you.
0: I'm really excited for this conversation.
1: I am too. And you know, Naomi, your website has so much information in this whole topic is so much. So I guess we better get talking about it. So we better get into Yeah, all things housing. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from, where you grew up, how you came to be here, all that good stuff.
0: Sure. Yeah, so I was born and raised in North Platte, Nebraska. Um, we like to tell the story of my dad, who was one of the first black engineers for Union Pacific Railroad, who was formally trained to be an engineer. Um, there's actually an Omaha World Herald article that talks about how the sun-kissed bronze face of the engineer Union Pacific train is no longer because they're now letting Blacks and women um, get trained. And so, it, you know, that's part of my story. It's part of um, where I come from. I also was homeschooled um, before it was legal in the state of Nebraska. So there's a lot of um, dancing and nuance and living in multiple kind of spaces at the same time that that make up who I am, which makes it um, natural then to dive into the really messy, nuanced complexity of housing. <laughs> um, yeah. I also come by housing from a couple of different vantage points. Um, I was one of the youngest Habitat for Humanity homeowner um, recipients. Um, oh, as a young single mom, um, I am now a licensed realtor and um, in a full circle moment, worked at Habitat Omaha for a couple of years um, before getting involved with some other things. Yeah. So that's a short and condensed version of <laughs> some about me. Well, thank you. Well, tell us what Front
1: Porch Investments is all about. I know you're a small but mighty staff, and boy, do you have your work cut out. So tell us, what do you all do?
0: Yeah, so we were created, uh, we're going on almost two years of existence. There was a housing uh, assessment that was done in 2020 and released in early 2021, uh, a A bunch of area foundations um, came together and said, what do we not know about the housing crisis? What do we need to know and how do we fix it? How do we bring solutions? And through a series of conversations and a lot of work and research, um, the assessment was released and Um, We weren't surprised by this, but it gave us marching orders and some pillars to focus on around the affordability and housing crisis. So we launched in September of 2021. We are small but mighty. There are four of us. And um, we really like to focus and are mandated to focus on our values and doing the work inside of our values. So one of those um, is to share power. Another one is to do the right work. Um, In the right way, so that's a lot of collaboration, and also saying this isn't ours to do, and bringing in their partners. Um, And so, what we do in a nutshell is we uh, function as an intermediary for funding. So we are fundraising to banking partners, corporate partners, philanthropic partners, and then public dollars. And then at the same time, we then put kind of put that money back out into the community through grants and loans. So both housing developers and nonprofit organizations who provide supportive housing programs, um, alongside all of that, we know that we have to have policy. Um, so we have, um, Eva Roberts does, uh, leads our advocacy work. Um, we also know that we have to be better about providing resources to our applicants. So Tess Hauser on our team does all of that work to just make sure that we provide accessibility to, um, people that are applying to us. And then I lead communications and community initiatives. So a lot of partnering, a lot of, that shared power thing comes into play. And then Meredith Dillon is our executive director and she wears a lot of hats. Uh, one of the biggest ones being to bring in that funding that we can put back out into the community.
1: Right. So it really does take a village, but, yes. but it really does. It does. How long have we had this problem here in Omaha? And I know it's only gotten worse, but how long have we been not having enough housing?
0: Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things that we can point to and a couple of things that I, I think feel super. Um, Tangible one being redlining. So redlining happened in the um, 50s and 60s uh, all across the country, but in Omaha, um, it primarily hit the east side of Omaha in both north and south. Um, and basically what happened was Um, the mortgage companies all decided it was unsafe or risky to lend for mortgage purposes in those parts of Omaha. And they literally, if you look at the map, it literally has red pockets of Omaha that were deemed risky. And that has had, um, impacts back then and it still exists today. And so you have that kind of a situation happening. Um, we have not yet, we're, we're hoping that it comes in the next couple of years, but we haven't yet drawn the correlation between homelessness prevention and affordable housing, you know, if we think about homelessness as something we can see uh, kind of above the water of the iceberg, but just underneath the water is all sorts of folks, one rent payment, one mortgage payment, um, one family situation, one mental health crisis away. Um, And so there's also that that kind of underpins it. And then we don't have enough time today to talk about bad policy that also is uh, racist and oppressive. Maybe next time.
1: Yes. Oh my goodness. Right. So tell me how we talk about affordable housing. How does this impact us and how we live?
0: Yeah. So how we talk about it literally is as important to us as the funding that we put out into the world. And so we've been working with media and elected officials and everyday neighbors to start to shift the way that we talk about it. So an example, um, this goes back to homelessness again, but they're connected. Um, Mm -hmm. we like to say things like, um, a person experiencing homelessness instead of quote the homeless person. Um, sure. homelessness is not an identity. It's a, it's a systematic and um, systemic reaction to a housing crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we gently call in, um, folks when we hear people saying because we all, um, know better and then we can do better. Um, I think the other thing about the way that we speak about housing, a lot of the, uh, miss or the wrong assumption is that the only people who need affordable housing are low-income households well you and I both need affordable housing in order to be economically stable and if we think about it if I HUD's definition is 30 percent no more than 30 percent of your income should be spent on housing and related costs if I'm keeping to that I can then participate more fully in my community I can donate and give to organizations, I can make sure that medical and transportation and all those costs are covered. So one big thing, if no one else takes, if if, uh, listeners don't take anything else away, it would be that we all deserve safe and affordable housing, regardless of income level.
1: That's a great point. So whether you work for a nonprofit or you're a bazillionaire, it doesn't matter. Affordable housing is affordable housing. So I feel like as an Omaha native, that in COVID is where we started to really see all these disparities shine in our city. And housing, of course, was one of them. And can you tell us, I mean, how short are we? How many families need that place? And how many places don't we have?
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So on this is, this is the part, part where uh, Meredith from our team is much more the data nerd than I am. Um, so she can give you data and stats all day long. Um, Mm -hmm. what I could tell you in a short version is that at the current rate right now, we are about 78,000 units short of what we need. If we look at that affordability for everyone deserving it and everyone having that basic and elemental need. Um, and I think to your point about, um, finding out some of those things during COVID, we all got really insular and it all got really, really important that we had a safe place to be. Nice. Um, yeah. The other thing I can tell you is that um data shows that in the Omaha metro area, it's about um $19 an hour that a household would have to make to afford a decent two bedroom apartment. Now that doesn't mean that they're available on the market, but based on numbers, you'd have to make $19 an hour. Well, our Nebraska's minimum wage doesn't show up there, right? So we've got that huge gap too. Things like uh, the minimum wage um, that was just passed and voted in um, last year helps, but we're not gonna get to $15 an hour until incrementally over, I think, the next five years. So that's another gap that we need to remember, not just units, but also Mm -hmm. affordability in in terms of income.
1: Right, and so my question is, how are they doing this? How are people, or not, Are they not affording it? This is a
0: huge problem. Is it just, I mean, is it like this in all cities? So we think it is a problem in all cities. Some of the differences we see with, you know, Omaha is in the top 50 cities in the United States. Um, And what we see as a difference in Omaha is that homelessness, as an example, is not as visible as some of the other large cities. Um, I think that there's also um, a component of having really amazing nonprofits um, who uh, shore up um, the city's work and the county's work and the state's work. And so all across our state, we have amazing nonprofits kind of filling in the gap. Um, But thats it's never enough. Um, right. A lot of the invisible housing crisis happens, for example, every time a child moves uh, zip codes, they lose four months of learning. That's a huge impact on a family. Um, affordable housing is also an economic benefit. Um, when we have housing stability, we have job security. We also, as a state, can then invite other people in and people want to live here or stay if we have affordability with our housing. So it's like you said at the beginning of, of this talk, there's it's it's nuanced. It's complex. Um, we actually have an ecosystem map on our website that lets people kind of plug into where they might be interested, and then really deep dive into the data, the realities, um, and solutions as well.
1: Your website is amazing, by the way. I mean, there's so much information. I mean, I think I seriously sat there for like a week just reading and reading and reading. But anyways, so let's go back to the assessment of the housing affordability needs and priorities report that you all did last year. What were some of the big key takeaways that maybe weren't so obvious?
0: Or yeah obvious? I, yeah, I think some of the 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 big takeaways um that we really wanted to lean into was that gap. We needed everyone to start talking on the same level playing field to acknowledge, first of all, that that was the gap we had. We had a lot of like, oh yeah, but what about, and oh, but what about this? And then we never got to just stay very um, reticent with the issue of affordability. And so that's one of the great things about the assessment is it gave everyone a common language. And so we've, we've started to hear elected officials and business owners and um, nonprofit executives all start to use the same language, which is important because then we know that we're that much uh, farther ahead on making some really meaningful decisions and choices. I think the other thing that came out from the assessment was it gave uh really solid doable um, mm-hmm. things that we could do. So one of the, the things that came from the assessment was that we needed a fund that was specifically for the development of new properties and the preservation preservation is super important. We can't have just an effort on building new, we also have to make sure that the affordable units that currently exist stay so. Um, right. And so that was another huge element that came up was we needed a dedicated fund for that. And so we're proud to have, we actually launched February 1st, the second round of development and preservation funding for the community. So, and the assessments available on our website, um, there's a summary that is a little bit more bite-sized or there's pages and pages of uh, more information in the assessment.
1: Yeah, it's really fascinating. And it's fascinating, like you had alluded to earlier, that really everything is together. It, it is. either works together or it doesn't work together. And you're right. There's so many of us, even with good jobs, that just takes out one thing. And then what are we going to do? And that's so scary, right? So, I mean, this is a huge, huge, and I'm going to say problem. It's a problem. Yeah. And so I know that, like you said, nonprofits are helping. We've got city officials. We've got all kinds of people coming together to do this. So how does that work when you have all these moving parts? I mean, how does this all play out?
0: (laughs) We're still working to figure that out. I think one of the things we talk about a lot at Front Porch is linking arms. Um, We need to know, again, I said one of our values was to do the right work in the right way. Um, We need to be able to say, you know, that's not ours to do. But let me introduce you. I think a lot of times we we don't do the introduction or the expansion into our networks. Um so we're doing a lot of linking arms. We host learning circles um, on specific topics. So accessibility in the built environment. How do we make um how do we bring into awareness to architects and to builders and developers, how to make a home more accessible and more visitable. Um, So that's one example. Um, I think the biggest thing is just modeling the behavior of one, making sure that we're inviting everyone to the table. Um, Two, saying when it's not ours to lead and passing the microphone. And three, another big lesson we're learning is saying, you know what, I don't know, but let me find out. (laughs) It's it's complex. I'm sure it
1: is really complex. Are there any cities uh, other than us that maybe have done this before that have had great success?
0: So we are taking learnings from so many different places. Um, Missoula, Montana has been wonderful in helping us kind of brainstorm around how to use city funding and a little bit of participatory grant making, which is where, where you have the community kind of come in and do the work together. Mm-hmm. Um, Denver, Colorado has great examples of Trauma informed design and how to build accessibility, and so that's kind of leading the way for us in how we invite developers to apply for those kind of things. Yeah. Um, Evanston, Illinois is doing some great work in. Um, for them, they call it reparations. For us, our version is the Greenlining Fund to put money back into those disinvested communities. So we're always looking at other locations for examples, and. We really love the opportunity to have Omaha be one of the examples for other locations. So yeah. that's part of the reason why we put so much effort into the website was so that we could share our learnings. Uh, we have a great glossary um, mm-hmm. on our website that just even helps people be on that same page when talking about affordable housing.
1: Yes. Again, I can't say enough good about that website. I just love it. So let's talk again about greenlining. So um, you're going to launch a fund. Is that right? The greenlining fund this spring. So, can you elaborate just a little bit more on redlining for folks maybe that don't know about it? And then tell us all about the Greenlining Fund.
0: Yes. So, redlining, um, I think the biggest piece to know about redlining, first of all, um, there's an Undesign the Redline tour for those uh, listeners that are in the Omaha area. Um, it's currently at UNO, and you can Google UNO redlining exhibit and it will pop up. There's tours that can happen. Um, I think it's really important to know that in East Omaha, Parts of Council Bluffs, um, the redlining impact. Just because um, it no longer happens today, um, that we know of, or that we would be able to point fingers at, um, the real estate industry still has a long ways to go um, in not perpetuating more oppression and more systemic issues with policies and how um, home ownership happens. So, to fast forward to you know, I think it's important to say yes, this happened. To then look at future solutions. Uh, We have a community advisory committee made up of 14 people who applied to join the committee. The committee holds an equal vote to our board of directors and to our staff. And they are being tasked with doing the education around what kind of programs, what kind of funding, what kind of reinvestment would make the most impact and have the most lasting value. So they're in the process of deciding, would that be a home equity loan? Would that be down payment assistance? That might be property tax relief for folks that are um, needing some support in that way. It might be that there's some education. So they're looking at all of these opportunities um, to reinvest. They'll be making the decision. We hope to launch the pilot sometime this spring. And then with more funding, um, hope to have it be something that has really beautiful um, legacy and sustainability.
1: That's so exciting. I love it. You know, um, my wife and I recently purchased a house, and we were open to wherever, and we looked up in North Omaha, and those houses are stunning, and the history in each home is, I just, it was just incredible to see these homes, right? And just the thought of taking care of that, all those neighborhoods and putting the money back in, it is so overdue. It is so overdue.
0: It's so overdue. And I think one thing that's really important to say too is that there's an element of displacement prevention that we also need to worry about when we're talking about affordable housing. Um, because with the prevention, um, or the preservation, I'm sorry, of currently existing affordable housing, inevitably property taxes will go up and we don't want, we don't want to put people out of communities and networks and where they grew up and built because of that. So there's that's another like linked arms and and kind of puzzle dance around displacement prevention. Um, So you'll see a lot of that in the Omaha area in the next couple of years in North and South Omaha, both um, reinvestment into the community and also displacement prevention.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. Um, One of the things I was just going to ask you is when we were looking for the houses, of course, way overpriced. I don't even want to tell you what I paid for my tiny house. <laughs> but my question was, there were some houses up north that were so wonderful. But we were like, we can't take this because it is going to affect everybody's taxes on this block. And I don't want to be that person. So how did this weird housing bubble or whatever we're in
0: right now? I mean, has that affected some certain neighborhoods? Not in a good way. Yeah. So some things, there's a lot of things that play into that. One thing is investment, um, especially out of state investors who come in and sometimes pay way more than it should, um, be. And a lot of times out of state investors and, and some local investors as well can pay cash. They also don't ask for inspections and then they either go in and flip it and then that raises that price or they rent it at a high rate with, um, some, you know, questionable practices. And so the more that we can see local, um, owner occupied, um, home ownership, the more that we can start to kind of tame that property tax issue. And property taxes aren't bad as long as we also are making sure that we have the same resources that we're pumping into a community so that folks can stay as much as we right. are promoting home ownership, you know. And, and I think the other thing that's really important to say is home ownership. Um, to front porch is as valuable as folks that choose to rent. Um, We don't, we don't value one over the other, um, Mm -hmm. as long as we have safe, attainable and affordable housing.
1: Yes, absolutely. A roof over your head is a roof over your head. And as humans, we need a roof over our head, right? We sure do. We (laughs) sure do. do. (laughs) Yes, we do. So let's go back really quickly about accessibility. As you know, a lot of our listeners are seeing impaired I don't know of that many places here in Omaha that were designed specifically. I mean, was there ever or were they just kind of, oh, we need to fix this so this person can live here? Or does that even happen?
0: Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, again, this is nuanced. Um, There are a lot of places that prioritize it on renovation. So a remodel, then they'll be like, oh, this is a good time to do it. Or there's a very specific renovation. But a lot of times those renovations are things like um, transitioning a bathtub to a shower that has zero entry. Sometimes that is moving laundry from the basement where there are stairs mm-hmm. up to a main level. But we're doing this really beautiful experimentation this year to see how much more expensive would it actually be to build a home that has the utmost of accessibility built to begin with. Yeah. Because if we can prove what we think is true, that it's not that much more expensive, how beautiful would it be to just have homes that are built that way for everyone. Um, nice. and you know, there's all sorts of beautiful things. There's, um, flashing lights. There's tones that can sound. Um, there are things like raising, um, outlets, lowering countertops, door width, all sorts of things. And the reality is we know how to do those things. We just haven't done the cost benefits or the cost, uh, increase. So stay tuned in 2023. We're hoping to work through some of that.
1: I love that. I love that so much. So this is a work in progress, as we know. I mean, we can't undo years and years and years of this overnight. So looking long term, what do you think? When do you think we'll start seeing some, the fruits of your labor? Oh my goodness. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, a hard question, right? It's a hard question. I don't know that any of our team feels that that we will still be. I mean, I guess it's hard to say we won't be in the work, but it's a long time before we start to see really actionable steps. It's the small things, it's one household at a time, it's um one architect's mindset shift at a time, it's one um philanthropic foundation saying, Oh, I get it. This is this is why. Housing is an important investment. So I think it's, we celebrate um, the small wins. We need to be reminded to celebrate those small wins. It's things like the city of Omaha passing the Housing Affordability Action Plan yeah. and some of our um, elected officials that we weren't so sure would say yes, really championing it. That's a win. Um, that's it. It's seeing developers call us and say, how do I, how do I be more accessible when I build? That's a win. Um, it's seen nonprofits start to come together to say, what if we linked arms and did some of our homelessness prevention work together? So um, I, I think from a practical standpoint, we'll start to see the benefits of our funding mm-hmm. in the next one to two years, you'll start to see buildings up and out of the ground. You'll start to see some of those things shift messaging change, narrative shift that's a longer push Um, but hopefully we'll start to see it in some of our policies um, in the next legislative session um, and as we go to city council
1: well i'm so glad that you all are here and doing this hard work and i know that every day like you said the small wins absolutely they all add up right so we have about five minutes left
0: is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think we should let our listeners know Yeah, I think that one of the things that can often happen when we talk about affordable housing is it feels too big. And so we go, oh my gosh, and we shut the lid on our laptop, or we close the book, or we stop trying to learn because it's so big. But I would invite listeners to check out our website. Um, I would invite listeners to consider how comfortable they might be in contacting their elected officials to even just very simply say, I want you to know that I'm a constituent of yours and affordability in housing matters to me. That's a small step. Um, Another thing that I would like um, your listeners to know is that we are doing a um, community fundraising effort. For a messaging campaign, so that we can shift the way our media, our electeds um, talk about this work, um, and so that's available on our website. And the last thing I think I would say is just um, listen and absorb, and you'll you'll be surprised at how quickly things start to go. Oh, this does matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, when our loved ones can't afford to live in our communities, when our teachers. Our firefighters, et cetera, can't live in the communities they serve. There's there's a lot of ways to start realizing, oh, affordability in housing is something that we should all uh, be worried about.
1: Yeah, we should. And it's sad that we have to, but here we are, right? So what
0: is the website? Can you give us your website? Yes, frontporchinvestments.org. And we also are, uh, I will just say, we're a work in progress, and it's a learning journey to work on our own accessibility from our website standpoint. We try and do um, the best we can with alt uh, text and image description and that sort of thing. But you are likely to to find some mistakes, and that's on me. Um, but we're it's a work in progress to keep that website up and as accessible as it can be.
1: Thank you. What about a good phone number if somebody wants to call you?
0: Mm. Oh, that's there, a very good question. Oh,
1: so maybe just go to the website and go from there. Right. Is there a yeah, way to I, contact you on the website?
0: There is a contact form. Okay, uh, and I, yes, there's a contact form. That's perfect. Okay. Perfect.
1: Well, Naomi, you all really
0: are really doing the
1: work and we really appreciate it because again, we are all human. We're all in this together, right? So I wish thank you all sure. the very best and I cannot thank you enough for doing this hard work. I know we're going to be okay with you all at the helm. So thank you. Doing it together with all of our other
0: partners. Thank you so much for this conversation.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm Cami Carlisle, and you've been listening to Community Conversations, and that was Naomi Hathaway with Front Porch Investments. Thanks so much for tuning in.
0: You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community.